podcast family. Welcome to Motherhood in Black and White. I'm Kanji. I'm Tara. May is Mental Health Awareness Month. One in five Americans suffer from mental illness. And we don't have the numbers globally, but for our listeners in Canada and Singapore and Germany, we see you, we hear you. We thank you for tuning in. Um, Tara, before we jump into a discussion about Mental Health Awareness Month and some of our experiences personally with mental health issues, we really wanted to give a special shout out to some of our listeners in Canada. A huge shout out. We're so grateful. Thank you, first of all, to Apple Podcasts. We were actually featured in Canada for uh, vulnerable relatability. And it it goes to show that we really saw a lot more listeners come on board and we've loved having every one of you with us. One of the things that we feel when we talk about mental health issues is that we are alone and that no one can relate to our struggles and our issues. But we can, and we do. Yes. Mental health conditions do not discriminate based on race or color or gender or identity or national origin or the fact that you're a parent or not, or even age, because a lot of our kids are suffering and dealing with mental health issues. And a lot of our kids are starting to exhibit anxiety, and we don't even know and can't even fathom the reach of the COVID-19 pandemic on their mental health. But let's take a deep dive this week and talk about Mental Health Awareness Month, some mental health issues that we as mothers have experienced and encountered, and some tips and tools for people who um, may be having mental health challenges in their lives. Absolutely. I didn't know there was a Mental Health Awareness Month. So when I started to see it creep up on social media, I was just looking it up. I was very curious. Um, And Mental Health Awareness Month in the United States has been around since 1949. Oh, wow. Which I had no idea. And every year it has a theme. And like we were sort of touching on, this year's theme is You Are Not Alone, which is kind of perfect, right? Coming out of 2020 and the isolation I think a lot of people felt from the pandemic, You Are Not Alone is exactly the message that we need to be sending right now, I think. Yeah, I received that message. I wonder why if Mental Health Awareness Month has been recognized since 1949, it's so much more prevalent and it's out there more this year than ever before. Do you think it's because of social media? Do you think it's because of the COVID-19 pandemic? Why are we seeing it um, kind of highlighted everywhere? I think for, it's, for me, it's definitely social media. I, mm-hmm. I, don't, I still don't think I would have been aware, except that apparently my social media algorithms are all about <laughs> mental health because <laughs> all of a sudden I was like, oh, oh, I didn't know that's what happened yeah. in May. It was, it was pretty shocking. But I think, I think absolutely it has to do with social media and the more information we're getting these days. And I also think that there's been a pretty big push and focus on mental health coming at the, I don't know if we're at the end of it yet, but coming at the, it's been a year since the pandemic started. And I think we're all experiencing this languish, you know, this depression, it's just overall blah from not being able to be out and be social and and do what we normally do. I shared a few episodes ago on this podcast that in January 2020, before the pandemic started, I actually started seeing a therapist for the first time in my life. There's a stigma in the Black community uh, surrounding mental health and mental health issues. I was pretty much always taught that there's nothing wrong with you, you know. <laughs> right. We it's talked like, about this. A we talked bit. about mm-hmm. this about how in a lot of black households we are discouraged from seeking 
treatment for any mental health issues or or getting a diagnosis. A lot of times people think, oh, you know, you just pray about it and the Lord's going to find a way to work it out. Yeah. And then there's also a distrust of medical professionals because of how Black Americans have been treated right. um, by mental health professionals in the past and currently in um, the medical field. So for me, it was an acknowledgement that I wasn't feeling normal. Right. It was an acknowledgement that something wasn't right and conversations with my girlfriends weren't helping it. Journaling wasn't helping it. So I really needed to, s- to step in and see a mental health professional. One of the statistics I noticed, I know you mentioned that one in five Americans suffer. And then the other thing I read about that is that only half of them actually get treatment. Really? For, yes, for their mental illness or mental health, you know, concerns. And we've talked a lot about, you know, me, I'm a big proponent of therapy and with my addiction and substance abuse issues, I've been in recovery groups for a long time. And and so I thought about that a little bit today coming into this conversation because I remember our conversation and you telling me you had just started to see a therapist a year ago and I've been going for, you know, 20 years and how different that is. And I was trying to think there's not a stigma in my family. Like there was, there wasn't a stigma. Like if you do it, there's something wrong with it, but it wasn't like, I'm definitely a trailblazer. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I I think I had to figure out myself and kind of do it myself. There wasn't somebody to pave the way for me, but there wasn't, I didn't have a block, you know? So I'm really grateful for that, that I was like, you know, there's this, these resources out there that I can use and I'm going to use them. What led you to seek therapy in the first place when that happened? Well, first I got sober. And as I was going through that process in the first year, year and a half, there's a lot of work involved. As I was doing that work, the people that I was talking to, they were like, you might need a little extra outside help. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, because I'm not going to blame my substance abuse on the events of growing up, but there is a correlation. And so sometimes you have to get some outside help to sort of sort that out so that it doesn't reoccur. Mm -hmm. While parenting didn't drive me crazy, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Even though it feels like it, I will share that the impetus for me really was when I acknowledged and saw that Roman was on the cusp of adolescence Mm. and how I could parent him through that. Yeah. Knowing that all of my stuff was coming out in how I was parenting him, right? And and there is an intersectionality between mental health and um, my lived experience as a Black woman in America. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to have all of my stuff come out in a way that was unhelpful or a way that would be harmful to my black son on the cusp of adolescence. And so for for what I was dealing with, it was acknowledging that there was nothing wrong with leaning on a mental health professional. I'm somebody that leans on my girlfriends, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, we're gonna have a conversation, but I realized my girlfriends can't help me through this. This was not an issue where I was clinically depressed or I needed medication, but I really just needed to talk through my issues so that I could be a better parent, if that makes sense to you, Tara. Yes, I I think that both 
for the people I talk to in recovery, for my therapist, for my girlfriends. The one thing that I like about seeing a mental health professional is that there's no personal attachment. So sometimes you just need that like unattached third party to say, no, I don't think that because, you know, my girlfriends love me and they're honest with me. But sometimes they're going to be like, you know what? You're right. That person is wrong. (laughs) You know, they're going to give you that. And sometimes you need that for sure. But I think that's what I've gotten out of seeing a professional over the years is just a just unbiased third party. And on the flip side, that's the hardest part for me of going to a mental health professional because I was like, why don't you love me (laughs) the way that you're supposed to? And it's like, I'm sharing these things with you so you can co-sign everything I'm thinking and doing, not for me to tell, for you to tell me that there's something wrong with me. Right, that I need to do something different. How dare you? How dare you? It is not my fault. (laughs) But realizing that, yes, some things are my fault and accepting who I am, accepting a genetic component that is involved there. You know this, that my biological father suffers from mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And even though I was not raised with him, I fear that that's something that I may have inherited Mm -hmm. and also something I may have passed on to to Roman. Yeah. That's one of the things that we've talked about before with my son and just knowing, you know, my issues and, and the things that I've dealt with and just knowing that, what do they say? genetics loads the gun like Mm. while environment may help soothe that for him so that he doesn't have to do it exactly like I did it the odds are not in his favor that he'll be able to manage well when it comes to certain things just due to who his parents are (laughs) when you were looking for a therapist or a licensed professional to help you on your journey Mm -hmm. were there any specific things that you were looking for in that person? Like, did they have to be female? Did they have to be of a certain age group? Mm -hmm. Can you um, walk us through how you were able to select someone to help you? You know, the first time I did it, I was 22. And I just got on the insurance website, just like spun a wheel and it landed on somebody. So as I've gotten older, I've changed a few times, just people moving and whatnot. I've always been very lucky. But I think now the person I've been with for a while, she and I started working together uh, it's been eight years now. And I I don't have a preference on gender. I do try to find somebody that has experience in my issues. Mm-hmm. So I looked for somebody who had really good experience with substance abuse, um, childhood trauma, adult children of addicts. You know, I looked for those things so they would at least understand the language I was using. And then, you know, uh, I went to a few people. And I think there's something to be said for I just felt a connection. There was one or two I went to weren't my jam, weren't my vibe. Thank you. No, thank you. And I tried another one. And, you know, on the third one, I was like, okay, I think this is this is going to work. You can just kind of feel it. Yeah. Thank you for walking us through that. Similarly, I only looked for black female therapists. I can understand um, that as your first choice. I mean, it's your first time. Well, no, I get that too. I would always look really? for a black female okay. therapist. Absolutely. So when you mentioned someone that understood um, your issues being a child, an adult child of an addict, someone who was in recovery, um, childhood trauma, those things. For me, it was very important to have someone who understands my experiences because how I walk through this world as a black woman from the Bay Area, mm-hmm. that informs and instructs everything I do and how I see the world and also how the world sees me. And I was watching that TV show, uh, This Is Us, which is one of my favorite TV shows after Grey's Anatomy. Mm. Oh, wait, side note, because everything I do is a side note. Uh 
I have to stop watching Grey's Anatomy now because my favorite character just announced he's leaving. Oh, I know. I watched it. Did you cry? What, no, no, I did <laughs> not, not going to watch it. I was so angry. So for those of you who don't know, listeners, I am hugely obsessed with a couple of things. Grey's Anatomy, Justin Timberlake, uh-huh. Beyonce and Prince. So for Grey's Anatomy for almost 18 years, I've been watching this TV show for mm-hmm. the last 13. I've been watching and lusting after shouldn't say lusting in case my husband's listening. <laughs> Jesse Williams. <laughs> Jesse Williams, Dr. Jackson, Jackson Avery. Avery. Yes. And he's leaving the show. I know. So I just can't watch it anymore. I'm just going to have You're to just cut a, him off. You know, I quit it after real quick and then we'll wrap this up. Mm-hmm. I quit after Big Dreamy. And then I came back last year because COVID. Um, and I be, I was like, you know what? All right, let's do this. Let's get back in. <laughs> he was not McDreamy to I me. Know, I'm I sorry. Know. I know he wasn't your choice. He was not, I know. <laughs> he was not my type. But anyway. anyway. <laughs> so that was our side note. When we go back. So This Is Us is the other TV show that I've pretty much watched for the last four or five years. And the character there, Randall, one of the plot lines a couple of years ago was with him electing to start seeing a therapist. And the first therapist he selected was a middle-aged white woman. And he went to her for a long time. And then ultimately, she said to him, she said, do you know how many black men like you mm. I have as clients? She said, none other than you. Because most people, when they're seeking a therapist, black men, black women aren't looking for me. Mm. And then ultimately, what the writers did with that character is they had him start seeing a black male therapist. And again, it was was interesting to me because that plot happened before I started going to therapy. Right. And when I started, I was like, oh, it doesn't matter if I see a black person or a white person. doesn't matter. Like, I just need to see a therapist. I Like you, Tara, I went to a couple of therapists that were not my jam, and they were white women Mm -hmm. who, just from the way they were talking to me, really couldn't understand my lived experience. We didn't have that shared experience that they could walk me through. And for me, it was important to then find someone who I could really be honest and authentic with and who could understand that the Black experience in America, the Black experience in the diaspora, in Canada, in in, in the West Indies, it's different and it's going to affect how we move. And again, we talked about that intersectionality. Yeah. We talked about misdiagnoses. We talked about stigmas that um, some people just don't, it's like you just don't get it unless you're a part of it, if that makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. And it's very similar to recovery groups. You know, the the biggest benefit of recovery groups is that you're talking to people who absolutely understand what a substance abuse feels like, mm-hmm. what addiction looks like. You know, there are stories I can tell in front of my friends there that if I told them in front of my friends that are not in there, would get a totally different reaction. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There is there is absolutely something to sharing with someone who can understand where you're coming from. I, I, I think it's 100% the right move. Thank you for that. And we when we talk about parenting our kids through some issues, you know, right. with with Roman, he has a little bit of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, if I didn't recognize it, if I didn't have a baseline to understand that that's something that we need to watch and monitor, part of me might be like, well, why are you so nervous? You know, right. and, and try to to talk him out of it or talk him through it. Changes feelings. Changes feelings, yes. But yeah. that's why I think it, it's very important for, for us to to continue to evolve and to discuss these things. And the theme of you're not alone is important 
because we as mothers, we as parents are looking at this next generation of kids. And a lot of studies are now being done about the short-term and now long-term effects of the pandemic on the mental health of children who have been largely isolated and socially isolated for an extended period of time. And then we're looking at rising suicide rates um, for adolescents and young adults. We're looking at the impact of social media on their lives, right? Um, And so I'm curious kind of, you know, both of us have kids that are on the cusp of adolescence. These these little boys are growing up way too fast. I'm curious, like, well, what are some things that that you are looking to and looking at as you are trying to figure out how to to parent Gage through any potential illnesses that he may he may have? Well, it's so funny that you started seeing a therapist last year when Roman was about the age Gage is going to be now, because what I've noticed, especially over the last six months, eight months. I go to therapy about once a month, and I think we've talked about Gage almost every time the last six months. I mean, Mm. I just find myself, it seems less about me and sorting out my stuff and more about my worries about Gage, my concerns about Gage, things he's doing, what I can be doing to support him. So I was thinking about it when you were talking. I'm like, man, that's really interesting. The timing is the same on that. I... um. I don't know. There's no manual for this. I talk to my therapist about it pretty regularly. I'm trying to be mindful in my choices. I'm trying to speak slowly and just leave space. Like one of my big one of my big choices is that when he's having big feelings and and we have them in our house, they're you know, inherent because he's his mother and father's child, but when he has big feelings, I get very deliberately kind of slow and quiet and I try to let him have them. I used to get really, you know, worked up when he would have big feelings. I'm like, just stop having the big, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And of course that never calms anybody down. But, and I was realizing it was my reaction to not being able to like, not feeling I can help him or save him from those big feelings. And so the last year, that's been something I've been practicing a lot, which is I can't save him from these feelings. He's going to have them. He's going to make bad choices, you know, or I don't know, bad choices. He's going to make choices that aren't as constructive, Mm -hmm. you know, and I can't, I can't save him from that. So I'm really having to like hold space for him, hold space for myself, you know, um, and not try to control every outcome. Not trying to control every outcome is something I'm not good at. <laughs> I'm not good at it either. It's very, it's a lot of work. Like I've, I mean, I literally have to like sit very still, count to ten. It is tough. <laughs> it is really hard. I'm not counting to ten. I get to, <laughs> to three, and I start popping off, and I'm like, listen, I, I think that that one of the areas where if I if I had the ability to go back in time, mm-hmm. I wish that I would have seen a professional much, much earlier mm. to start working through some of my stuff before I became a parent mm. and then potentially, um, I will say, infected my kid with my, my gunk, my mm. junk, my issues. Because I see that happening in the world around us. I see that a lot of times parents are imposing their thoughts, their beliefs, their own issues on small children. 
unaware I think unaware of yeah it. just not right. even realizing we're doing it well yes. that's why I think that's why I said like I wish I had a chance to go back to have done this before unintentionally there were things that I was doing and saying and thinking and feeling and replicating in him um that I probably shouldn't have been doing you know and and like I said we we talked about um body issues we talked about food oh, choices yeah. Yeah. um those are all things that probably I should have worked out a little Listen, bit. Listen, I've been seeing a therapist for 20 <laughs> years and I still mess that up. There are plenty of things that I laid at that kid's feet that I probably could have avoided, but we just do the best we can. And then when we do, when we know better, we, we do, do better. We you do know? better. And, and I think what I've learned the most, like the biggest lesson I've taken away just growing up the way I did and, and having the life I have now. And my husband and I talk about this all the time is that Nobody's going to do that perfect. Nobody's going to mm-hmm. parent perfectly. And everybody, everybody's going to be okay. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, he's going to be okay. Like, the whole point is that there's going to be things we do wrong and we learn from them and he's going to learn from them and he's going to pick stuff up. And then when he gets to be an adult, he gets to put it down. And we just don't have any control over that journey for him. I mean, we're just, we're just part of the, the viewer box. It's really hard. It's a really hard <laughs> job, guys. <laughs> it is. It is. I think, um, you know, if you're listening and, and you're kind of wondering, what can you do in this in this space? What can you do with yourself and what can you do potentially with your kids? Um, there are some actionable things that, that we as parents can do, we as humans can do. And Tara has, has a couple of, of points that she's researched because- because she's Tara. <laughs> no, um, it's, it's it's easy stuff for sure. I mean, just being mindful about the fact that, you know, we we talk about this, we talked about visibility of Mother's Day and how it kind of forces people to reflect and think about it. And I think that Mental Health Awareness Month gives us a chance to stop ourselves and say, what could we be doing, you know, this month to better ourselves, help our friends that are dealing with mental illness, just in general help amplify resources for people that need them. So we have five things that you could do this month. One of the things is to start a conversation. Mm. You know, Kanji, you and I have these conversations and I always end up sharing a whole bunch of stuff I don't realize I'm going to share with you. But I think it's I think it's so important when you're talking to your friends, when you're talking to your loved ones that you feel you can trust and you can share with is to have real honest conversations, Mm -hmm. like really share how you're doing, really ask them how they're doing. Yeah. Make it weird, guys. That's rooted in the the fact that I hope that all of us play a part in breaking the stigma. Yeah. There has historically been a stigma against and about around mental illness. I know when I was a kid, it was, you know, there's the short yellow bus or people were taught not to talk about right. things. and Our crazy uh, Uncle Lou over mm-hmm. in the corner, don't we're talk not, to him. Don't talk to him, don't talk about <laughs> yeah. it. And of course, we haven't even touched on the intersectionality between mental illness and the criminal justice system, right? And, right. and how that has disproportionately impacted people of color. But yeah, let, let's break the stigma. Let's start having these open conversations and let's start creating space and opportunities for people to share their stories um, without shame. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the next thing is for yourself, make sure that you're finding ways to prioritize your own mental health. Mm. So, so what does that look like for me? For me, I know I really try to make sure I'm getting some quiet time for myself. Um, I try to 
move my body a little bit every day, whether it's exercise or just a quick walk. I try to make sure I'm getting enough sleep. You know, there's just some small things I do that typically keep the monkey brain a little more chill. Mm. Do you have anything that you do, Kanji? It used to be watching Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> now I got to find something else to do. Yeah, find a new thing it? to turn your brain off. <laughs> what's, what's number three? Uh, number three is to donate or volunteer. There are a lot of organizations out there that support awareness for mental illness and support people and provide resources. A couple that I found were the National Association for Mental Health. Um, there's also the National Alliance for Mental Health or Mental Illness. And if you look in your neighborhood, you can often find um, recovery homes and domestic violence shelters and small groups like that that may need help volunteering or could use a donation to help bring those resources to other people. Mm -hmm. The next thing is to share information. Uh, The hashtags for this month are hashtag not alone, hashtag mental health month or hashtag MHM. I've seen it. So when you're on your social media check out those hashtags and share the resources that you're seeing. Make sure that you're getting those out to your groups and the people who are following you because the more we're sharing that and amplifying those resources, the more people are seeing them and realizing that they have options. So good. So good. What is a final tip for helping people and children and teens with mental health issues and awareness? Yeah. So the last thing is, is to let someone else know that they are not alone. So if you know you have friends out there that struggle with mental illness or have mental health problems, make sure you just touch base. Just make sure they know that they're not alone, that you're available um, and that they're seen and that they are loved. I think that's the best thing you can do for anybody. Listeners, you are seen and you are loved. And I hope you remember that. And if you were listening to this and you happen to be in a space and a time where you are alone, don't feel or be lonely. And if you need help, reach out. Find a way to reach out please. Um, It's important to recognize that none of us are super women or supermen. And so lean into those feelings of discomfort or, or feelings that it's okay to feel overwhelmed. We all do. But um, when I say we all do, it's just a way of highlighting the fact that none of us are alone. And so thank you again for, for tuning in this May Mental Health Awareness Month and shouldn't stop with this month. Just continue the conversations all year round. Absolutely. We love having you with us. We hope you've enjoyed this conversation. Make sure that you're following us on Apple and on Spotify. We love bringing this to you. We want to make sure we're amplifying resources and the more people we're engaged with, the more that we're able to share this as well. We appreciate all of you. Super appreciated. I hope that you take this conversation with you and that you hear our voices and our words when we say thank you. You are appreciated. Guard your health, mental, physical, and spiritual, and take good care podcast family. You got more Tupac lyrics in this more week. More Tupac. That? Girl, I'm going to find a way. I'm going to find a way to throw in, sprinkle in some Tupac. I heard that song yesterday and I thought about you. I go, oh man, I just can't hear a Tupac song without thinking of Kanji That's now. the way I like to do life. <laughs> Funny. All right, Joe, was that good? That was great. Awesome.